Um, I am going to be preaching this morning from the book of Psalms, but before I get there, um, the elders have asked me to uh, say a few words this morning, and so I'm going to start there. Um, and, and really, the message uh, that the elders wanted me to, to discuss was in, um, in light of um, really everything that's been kind of going on with um, uh, some of the race issues going on in our day and age. Uh, just wanted to say a few things from the pulpit to try to, um, so the most people in our body could hear this. Um, we have a conviction, I have a conviction, that the discussions that are going on surrounding some of these race issues needs to happen. Um, and so I, I, think, I think something that as a church, uh, globally and locally, that we can't do is try to stifle communication and conversations. The danger in doing that, of stifling conversation, means that I think that there would be a further division among the global church of God, where instead of coming closer together, we, we separate and fracture even more. Uh, and I think that would be a horrific, uh, dangerous thing to happen. Um, the second conviction, the reason I think conversations need to happen, uh, that we as elders believe that, is that the church should be leading the way in these discussions. Uh, it's the church, it is the church of Jesus Christ that believes that all men were created in the image of God, and so therefore we should be the ones that are leading the way, um, knowing that worth and value and dignity uh, are rooted in our creation that our God has given us. Furthermore, within the church, as the book of Ephesians says, um, that there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And that we all enter the church uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ, and so that we're all claiming the centrality of Christ in our lives. And so the church, globally, uh, should be a light on a hill, should be salt to the society around us, so that they see uh, Christ, and so that they see God and His work in us. And so on these issues, the church should be leading the way. But... In these times and in these days and with these issues, the third thing that I, and this is the main kind of point that I, we want to communicate, is that these conversations are messy. They're difficult. They're not easy. Uh, in fact, uh, one elder said, well, Lewis, should, should you in the pulpit like make a stance? And I was like, well, it would only take like two or three hours to come up with a stance because there are so many things that have to be parsed out, uh, defining terms and uh, a lot of things. And so our heart um, is really that you would um, um, really take the words that Gary said last week in his sermon seriously. I thought it was so helpful just as a person. Um, but even more in these issues, and I just want to read two verses out of uh, that he covered last week. First Peter chapter three, um, verse eight and nine to sum up all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you are called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. It has been brought to our attention that there are squabbles going on within the church and uh, 
we're all about communication and working through. We're not about squabbles. Um, and so I, I just want to remind us that um, to, to really dig in and to know that the goal of our communications is unity and to love and to do that in a certain way. And, and also, this is just, uh, I just think this is good advice. Um, I think with issues like what we're facing, um, that social media should not be used to debate one another. Um, I would urge that if, if there are some within the body that are um, engaging in conversations over social media, um, that maybe you back out of those conversations and consider meeting face-to-face, in person, praying together as you walk into these issues and have these conversations. You know, Philippians 4.2 um, which we covered several years ago, talks about Yodia and Syntyche and, and, and how they are to uh, urge these uh, two women in the Lord to get along. And as brothers and sisters, this needs to be our goal. And so we must find a way forward. Uh, we must have these conversations. And in fact, this Thursday, um, dear friend of mine, uh, brother in the Lord, uh, we've been having these conversations for I think five or six years now, his name's Carlos Williams. We don't agree on everything, uh, but there's a lot we do agree on. Um, for our Thursday video, Carlos and I are just going to sit down and talk um, about um, um, talk about some of the issues that our, our nation is facing. And, and really, um, I'm going to interview him uh, so that we can kind of hear from, um, from the black community and from a strong Christian brother in the Lord who believes in God's Word with all of his being, um, we can just hear and, and further this conversation. So, with that, there's no easy way to transition to Happy Father's Day. So I'll just make it awkward and weird. Um, um, I'm, I'm excited to preach to you today. Uh, I am in, encouraged um, as a pastor, as one of the elders and one of the pastors of this church to uh, serve here with so many men who just exemplify manhood and fatherhood. and um, I, I just want to say that this message was really kind of born out of conversations that uh, BJ and Ruby and I and Damon and I have um, weekly. Particularly, this message was born out of um, some conversations that Damon and I had where Damon brought this psalm to me and we were talking through some things and it just really was one of those moments of, oh, you know, I need to preach this and vision cast this. So that's why we're going to jump into this psalm. Now, one of the things I want to lay out from the very beginning is that, that, that I understand, and I always want to take time and talk about this, that Father's Day is, is difficult for some people. I was very blessed with a wonderful, godly father, still have a wonderful, godly father that I hope to see this afternoon. But I know that some of you were raised in homes where a father wasn't present, or there was a father present who... Uh, was, was not a very good person. If you look at verse 8 of this psalm, it even stipulates, verse 8, and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. And so I just want to lay out that I understand that some of you here this morning are have experienced that. And so you come into Father's Day with, with some negativity. Others of you this morning uh, may come in here or may be watching us live and 
you may come into Father's Day every year with a sense of guilt. Sadly, many churches, I think, promote the sense of guilt. Uh, I don't know how many, well, if you've been here a long time, don't raise your hand. Uh, but I don't know how many of you have sat through or listened to other preachers preach um, Father's Day messages that were just beating men up. That that, it almost seemed like that was the goal, of to beat these men into submission. And uh, that's not what I want to be about this morning. I, I know that many of you coming here don't need to be reminded of your failures, that, that, that you're very aware of that. And so I want the tone of this message to be encouraging and uplifting because, because if you come in in one, either one of these camps, the thing that we hold on to, the thing that we cherish most deeply is that the Gospel changes everything. The Gospel takes us out of the kingdom of darkness. It takes us, and God, it even says that God adopts us into His family so that we're adopted into a new family where God is our Father. And, and in this family, He gives us many, many things. And one of the things that He gives us is His love and His care. Another thing that He gives us is He gives us other men around us that serve as spiritual fathers and spiritual mentors in the faith. And they step in and they bridge that gap and they guide us spiritually. Also, the gospel answers our, our deepest um, uh, question and our deepest longing. And that is, is that it provides a way for our sins to be atoned for. So if we come in here as Christians feeling guilt, one of the things that we need to know, and I know I quote this, uh, there's a pastor that said this and I quote it, quote it often, is this, is that it's okay to not be okay. The gospel message in the life of believers, it's okay to not be okay, you just can't stay there. One of the things that God gives us as He adopts us into His family is that we have His Word and that we have His Spirit and that we are to be growing in our sanctification. And so it's okay to not be okay. We just can't stay there. And so today, this call to men is a call to action. Not a call to perfection, but it is a call to action. And I hope that you find that the tone is encouraging, that I'm on your side, and, and that God has a vision for you and this church and the body of Christ to move forward. So as we jump into this text, um, one of the things that I want you to see in this psalm, uh, it, it's only 72 verses, and so uh, since it's Father's Day, uh, I get to preach as long as I want. We're, going to cover seven, you know, we're not going to cover all 72 verses, but what you see, if you look at verse 1, it says, Listen, O my people, to my instruction Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. And so what we see is that this psalm is a word of instruction. This is a psalm that instructs a people. The second thing that we see about this psalm that's very important is in verse 2. I will open my mouth in a parable and I will utter dark sayings of old. So this is an instructive parable. And this psalm is broken up into two main points. Uh, the, the first section, which is the one we're going to spend most of our time in today, which is verses 1 through 8, is the preface to the rest of the psalm. And, and the rest of the psalm, Psalm 9 through 72, really is the parable. And the parable that we see, if you were to read it, and I encourage you to go home and to, to read it and to dig in, it will, it, it will be good for you. It will be very instructional. 
but the psalmist gives the, the parable, the example of Israel as the people of God. And what we see is, is we are to learn some things from this parable about the people of God and their relationship with God and how these things uh, play themselves out. And so we should look at that and we should learn. And, uh, and there's, there's warning and there's encouragement in that. Now, um, it's important. Um, one of the things that we believe at Signal Mountain Bible Church is, and one of the reasons why we pre- one of the reasons uh, why we preach the way we do, uh, is because we want to help you learn how to read your Bible through the way in which we preach and teach from the pulpit. And so, one of the things that I can't ignore as I jump into this, although it's it's a little technical, but I want you to hang with me here, is that I want you to notice again in verse one. Uh, the psalmist, as he is writing here, he says, listen, O my people. And so this psalm was written to a group of people, the Israelites. And there is a major difference uh, between Israel of this day and age and you and I sitting in this room. And the major difference is this, is that when this psalm was written, you were born into the covenant family of God. So when this instruction is given to fathers in how to instruct their children and how to help them grow in the Lord and talking about generations and generations, what it's talking about here is that as a child and the children within this covenant community, they were born into this covenant community. Now, we all know we're not the nation of Israel. And in the New Testament, we know that we are part of the church. Under the new covenant, we are part of the church. And you're not born, we don't believe, um, you're not born into the church. But your status in the church is when you are born into the faith. When you are reborn. When you have the rebirth. So when you place your faith and your hope and trust in Jesus Christ then you become a member of the global church, the global people of God. Now, I want to point this out um, because it's specific on how this psalm is instructional. However, however, we as the church can glean a ton from this psalm. It just means, as one pastor put it, that, that we, as, as the people of God, as men in this church, that we are entrusted as stewards and guardians. And that we are doing that in hope that as we're passing along the information that this psalmist is going to tell us to pass along, that we are doing that in hope that our children place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that as they do that, that the Holy Spirit will take what, has, what these children have been taught by their fathers and will enlighten and invigorate that so that they become a fully functioning uh, disciple of Christ. So, we need to understand that. We need to get that. And so as we jump into this, um, one of the things that I want you to see um, from this text, and and I'll return to this, and uh, you'll probably hear this a lot from me, is that I believe that what this psalm tells us is that the people of God, 
the people of God are a family of families. Or the people of God are families who are made up of families. Now you may be saying, Lewis, what in the world are you talking about? Well, I think it's the same thing with the church. That we are a family of families. And what we see in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is that the family, the family is the primary role where children and people should be discipled. However, we also see this within the church as well, that the church is given this responsibility to disciple kids and to disciple period. And so I want to try to break out what I mean by this family of families. Let's jump to the New Testament for a minute. The New Testament often uses language like this. And I think last Father's Day, uh, I preached on 1st or 2nd Timothy. And we, one of the things that we talked about was that um, uh, Timothy and Paul's relationship, and Paul considered himself, and Timothy considered Paul as his spiritual father. Um, there are many times in the New Testament, when father or mother or brother and sister is used as this global concept. So uh, somebody may be considered a father or a brother or a sister or a mother who has no biological reference. Jesus, remember, Jesus says, who are my mother, brothers and sisters? And he, he was pointing out the family of God. This happens in the Old Testament as well. Um, the Old Testament, and in this text, one of the things that we see is that the psalmist, as he is writing and as he is talking about fathers, I, I think, and I'm going to point this out, my contention here is that he has both views in mind of a biological father and spiritual fathers. And so I think he has both in mind when he's talking about the kingdom of God. So that I think that God... Uh, and, and this morning, it's Father's Day, we're specifically talking about fathers. I think as, as God has ordained and inspired the writings of the Bible, that He sees men in this dualistic role. And, and the dualistic role that He sees for men is that, yeah, you know, man, you, are a, you might be in a place where you are a biological father and you have responsibility there. But you may be a member of a church or a spirit, the spiritual community. And he also looks at you as a man and say, you have a role, a fatherly role in the people of God. Let's look more specifically at this. Let's look in verse three. He's talking about parables here, and he says, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us again in verse five, the second part of that which he commanded, he established a testimony in Jacob and the law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. And I think as we look at this and you said, okay, well, what father is the psalmist talking about? Is he talking about Moses? Sure. Is he talking about whoever the biological father was? Sure. <laughs> and the point, and the point that I want to bring out here um, is that when I speak about Father's Day to the family of God, to the church, the way that I envision this is that you may not have biological kids, but you have a hugely significant role to play as a man in our body. And it is a fatherly role. Let me give two examples of this. 
One is this. I am the father of my four kids. Right? I am the biological father of my four kids. However, I could go through and give you example after example after example of men in this church who have stepped into my kid's life and to serve a very important function of helping my kids grow in the Lord in what I would consider a fatherly role. Last night I was at a graduation celebration of two young women in our body. And uh, I, I was late uh, to that, but I heard from a lot of different people how wonderful the, the two fathers stood up and gave a blessing to their daughters. And I heard that it was just phenomenal. I even heard one man in our church ask the father for a copy of the blessing that he said. And then the thing that warmed my heart with this psalm in mind is that as I stood back and watched some of you interact, one of the things that I saw is I saw a bunch of people being spiritual mothers and fathers to these two young girls. And I saw and heard as I was talking with parents, other men and women coming in and coming alongside. And there really was this whole aspect of Mothers and fathers rallying around these girls for the purpose of their edification and their discipleship as they move forward. And so one of the things that I want us to bring to this text is this idea that this message today, it's speaking to fathers. But if you don't have children, that doesn't mean that you can step away from this responsibility. If you are a member of this body and you are a man, you've got a responsibility in this text and in this Vision And so let's let's go back to the text and jump in and let's go back and jump in and see what is the role? What is the function of the father? And let's go back to verse three again. And it's really clear in verse three, he's referencing in verse two, the parables and the sayings of old. And it says, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. So the fathers are the ones that told them about these parables and the ways of old in verse four again we will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. So it's not only as our fathers told us, but we will also, as men, we will also do this and push forward. Notice in verse 5 and 6. For He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the next generation to come might know, even the children not yet born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. I love this phrasing. And I want you to notice the emphasis here in this text on fathers and fathers and generations and generations. This is a huge Task. And one of the things that I want you to see that the role of, of a man and of a father in a church is that there is a truth and there is a communication that needs to happen. And it's our responsibility to ensure that this communication gets passed down to our children so that they can teach it to their children. So generation after generation that can move forward. Another way to say this is that as the people of God, we are to be a reduplicating people. And this is seen all throughout the Bible. Another way that I am saying this, and and you'll see why in, in just one brief second, is that as Christian men, 
we are to be seen as builders and that we're always building. Now that may depress some of you uh, ladies who may have husbands that are like me who start a building project and never finish and you're like, wait a minute. That's not what I mean. (laughs) But what I mean is that spiritually we are to view our job as that we are always building. We are builders. We are working towards something. And that work is not finished. And the reason that I'm using the word building is that Jesus tells us this. Jesus tells us that He will be building His church until when? Until He returns. So until Christ's return, there is a work for men. There is a work for fathers to do on building the church from the Lord's strength with the Spirit's guidance. So the Christian men are always building. Now, I want to clarify two things real quick. So one is that when we are talking about fathers and generations, please, please get out of your head a simple notion of small children. Because I think what is in mind here, and and, uh, as I was reading in my own private devotion this week, I saw this over and over and over, but I think what is in mind here is not only young children, yes, young children, but also... uh, men in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, that we need men pouring into us. That the generational flow of of information needs to come from the top down and it needs to just be happening at all levels. And so one word of clarification would be is to, to not just think of young kids. The other thing is this, is that it doesn't mean, this does not mean that men are doing all the work. In fact... I'm one that would say, if we take that approach, we're going to be a failure. God has given the church, God has given His people, women who are extremely gifted to carry out this task. So so what I want you to hear me say is that I think it is clear from this text and other texts that the role that men play is that God holds men responsible to make sure that this is happening in the life of His people and in the life of His church. Ephesians 6, 4 talks about fathers, bring your children up. In Deuteronomy 4 and in Deuteronomy 6, as it's talking about the transmission of the law and the Word of God, and it's talking about ordering the house in such a way that, the, that it's written on the doorposts, it's kept in front of the eyelids, it's talked about as they go, that men, it's our responsibility to, to, to know and to make sure it's our passion, it should be our passion, to see that this is happening in our families and in our church and, and in our Christian community. That we're responsible for the direction and the focus for the generations. Now, we've talked about that responsibility. The second thing I want you to see from these eight verses is I want you to see what, what we should be communicating. And I, I just love this, and I love this first one, and uh, th- this verse will preach and preach and preach. But notice this. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength, and His wondrous works that He has done. So the first thing that we as men need to be ensuring that is going to our children and to the generations is this, is the praises of the Lord. And so here's the conviction in my own heart 
and in my own life and in my own home is this. Is my home, are the hallways of this church, are the Sunday school classrooms of this church, is the pulpit of this church filled with the praises of God? Where we are a people that experiences and talks about God in such a way that we give Him the glory and that we see and talk about Him as the worthy, great, awesome God that He is. If you read verses 9-72, through 72, you will see all, it will recount all the mighty works, the many mighty works that God has done. And do we declare this? I was convicted. We did a... Um, years ago, our small group in the summer uh, tried to do a Bible study, and I've referenced this, but uh, from Paul David Tripp, and uh, one of the things that he talked about that our homes should be filled with um, talking about how we have seen, how, how we have interacted with God and what we have seen, and we should praise God for what He has done and is doing in our life in front of our kids. And I just got convicted that I don't do that very often. If you were at the men's retreat maybe four years ago now, which is crazy to think about, Tony Souter um, laid out this vision of see, save, or share. Whereas men, we were, we, we were to see God, whether in, uh, in, in His Word, in nature, in interactions, whatever, that we were to savor that, and then it can't stop there, that we are to share that with uh, other men and, and in our homes as well. So one thing is the praises of the Lord we saw in verse 4. The second thing that fathers are to be transmitting, look at verse 5. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. And that's this, look. Our God is not silent. Our God has spoken. He has spoken through His Word. He has given us the law. He has given us the prophets. And we, as New Testament Christians, we know that He has given us even more. He has given us Jesus Christ. And do you remember in the book of John, what is Jesus described as? The Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that Jesus in the book of Hebrews is called the exact representation of God. So that when, as fathers... As we look and we see that our responsibility is to, to teach uh, other men and, and children and the generations that God is not silent, that He has spoken, and that He has, has given us His Word. He has given us Christ. And we are to look towards these things. And we are to talk about and we are to delight in the Word of God. That the law of God is good. It is profitable. It should be our delight. It's the pathway to joy. And that the goal, the goal in the Christian community is holiness. Holiness. The third thing, the third thing that I see here, and I get from verse 7 and 8. We are to teach our children, we are to teach the generations that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commands, commandments. And not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Notice these words. Notice these words. 
We are to teach them to put their confidence in God and not be like their fathers who forgot. And is, if, again, if you were to go through and read uh, the, the, the parable, you, were just, you would see that they forgot. And how often in the Old Testament are we told that God's people, they forgot God? And I think one of the ways, I think what happens is that when we forget God, when we forget who He is, when we forget how wonderful and how great and for us God is, what happens is that our gaze, our gaze leaves God, and so when we look to see where our confidence should be, we're looking out across the landscape of the world, and then we begin to put our confidence in things that will fail us every single time. There is nothing wrong. Some of the kids, some of the teenagers in this room and that are watching uh, might agree with this first one. There's nothing wrong with chemistry. Some of you may be like, oh yes there is. There's nothing wrong with encouraging education in your kids. There's nothing wrong with encouraging your child to excel at the clarinet or the tuba. That's one I always wanted to learn. There's nothing wrong with encouraging your kids to excel in athletics. But there is a huge, grievous error that we make if the tone of our homes and the tone of our discipleship is that our kids should put their confidence in those things. In doing that, we, we become more like verse 8 where we create a stubborn and rebellious generation because their hearts are going after something else. Spurgeon, I love... Uh, Spurgeon on this passage and Spurgeon in the Psalms is, is great. But Spurgeon says this, the best education is education about the best things. The best education is education about the best things. And so one of the things that we need to wrap our brain around, especially here on Signal Mountain where education is looked at at a premium and that's, that's a good thing, But unless we are educated about the best things, any of this other education is just going to fall flat. One of the things that I love that uh, I've heard John Piper say over the years is um, that the goal of teaching our kids to read should be so that they can teach the Bible. They can read the Bible. I love that vision. And I think that's the vision we need to have as the church. Now, as we jump in, if we jumped into uh, chapter, verses 9 through 72, I think there's three major themes that uh, I'm going to real briefly just touch on, uh, but that's important as we're talking about teaching our kids and holding up uh, the generate to the generations. And the first one is this that if you were to read this, it would become very evident that God is seen as holy and perfect and righteous and just. And that when we look at God, we don't say that God is moral, like He does, but He, His very out of His very nature comes morality. Who He is and His character defines those things. So that God is the Creator and the Sustainer of all. So we don't stand in judgment versus God because He is the perfect, uh, the only perfect being in the universe that speaks to us and displays to us and He defines what righteousness and what holiness and what goodness 
is and that His deeds and His laws and His purposes are right and He is righteous and He is just. And that sin needs to be punished. And the second thing we see that we would see, and I'm going to give a couple of instances here. The second thing we see is that man is marred by sin. Look with me at verse 17. It, it's talking about all the, 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 the great things that God has done. First look in verse 10. Uh, it says, they, they turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God and refused to walk in His law. In verse 17, they still continued to sin against Him to rebel against the Most High God. Verse 36, but they deceived Him with their mouth. They received, deceived God with their mouth and they lied to Him with their tongue. And again, verse 40, look at this. How often they rebelled against Him in the wilderness and grieved Him in the desert. That man does not only do sinful things, but that man has a sinful heart. And that we need to teach our kids this. Which leads into the third thing, this picture that we see in this psalm, and that is of God as a merciful God who is desiring the generation's to come to Him and to trust in Him for their salvation. Look again at verses 21 through 25. Therefore the Lord heard, notice, He was full of wrath, and a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger was also mounted against Israel, because they did not believe God and did not trust in His salvation. Yet, notice what God does. He commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven and He rained down manna upon them to eat and gave them food from heaven. Man did not eat the bread of... Man did eat the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. Again, in verse 36 and 38, look at the mercy of God. It says, They deceived Him with their mouth. They lied to Him with their tongue. For their heart was not steadfast towards Him. Nor were they faithful in His covenant. But He, being compassionate forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them, and often He restrained His anger. And so we see God in His mercy wooing His people back to Him. But that's not the only picture. If we had time, I would also take you through that God in His righteousness and His justice also punishes sin. And we see that in this parable. And what we see in His punishment of sin is not to simply be punitive, but it is to display His glory and His righteousness so that the nations may come and so that these people may see Him for who He is and come back to Him. Kingdom Mountain Bible Church, as we look at this and as we look at these things, one of the things that we have to stand on over and over and over again is the fact that our God is right and just in all that He does. He's perfect. Man is sinful and God is merciful. And that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, as the ultimate act of mercy. As the ultimate act of mercy, that all who put their faith and trust in Him are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And at Single Mountain Bible Church, we have to be men who are into building generations who know these things. And they breathe these things and they excel inhale and exhale these things there is an insanity that takes place and we see it in this psalm and we see it in our generations we see it when we have kids again 10 15 20 30 40 who 
know these things and yet they run from God. I'm reminded on Father's Day of the parable of the prodigal son. And the insanity of this young man with this wonderful father who has built this wonderful life for him and the prodigal runs away. But I'm also encouraged and we need to be a place that shares this parable often that we have a heavenly father who is waiting for the prodigal, the dirty, sin-stained prodigal with open arms saying, come to me. I am a God of mercy. We need to be a place that is transmitting this message in our hallways and in our homes and from this pulpit. And we need to proclaim and stand fully on the insanity of running away and the wisdom in running towards. And so, the call this morning, the call this morning for Signal Mountain Bible Church is that we are to be a people who catch a vision, a goal of being builders of generations. That, that we will pour into our dads. That men will pour into other men. That we'll be pouring into our children. And that we'll be, we'll be investing with all that we have. And investing could mean anything from helping out in the youth. It could mean that some of you men teach Sunday school. It could mean that you just endeavor to get to know other men and you have lunch with them. It could mean that you just get to know some of our teenagers and and get to know what they're doing and encourage them in their walk with the Lord. But what we have to see is that this needs to be an investment. It's a call of an investment of our part. And that they hear our testimonies. They hear of the glories of God. They hear about our failures. They hear about what God has done in our life. And we are really quick to point them to Scripture. And what God has said. One of the things that um, at the church that I came from that meant some of the most to me as a young man, on Wednesday nights we would do this thing of uh, blessings and prayer requests. And we just never capped the time. And so sometimes we would say, what blessings have you all experienced? And, and I could tell you story after story of some of the older men in that group that would uh, recall stories of old. And how God was faithful and, and it would be wrapped in something that was going on present. And it just meant so much to me as a young minister to see this man who was walking with the Lord for way longer than I had been alive and to hear him recount the faithfulness of God. And we need to be a people who share that. We need to declare that. The, another thing we can do that we must do is that we must be a people of prayer. And we must be praying as men. We must be praying for the generations. And again, this is not just kids. But we need to be praying for the other men. We need to be praying for, for fathers. If you are a, a grandfather or whatever, you need to be praying for that next generation and investing in them. And, and one of the things you're going to see here is that if you are a, 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 a father of a youth, you already know uh, Damon's been doing this thing on Wednesday morning called On the Mat, where he, uh, we, we, we just pray. Wherever you are, you just pray. You get on the mat for your kids. Pray. Um, shamefully, uh, sometimes on Wednesday morning, the text message at 6.30 is my uh, alarm clock. However, however, I'm going to justify this. Uh, every time, if I'm not already up, I just start praying. I start praying for some of you. It's vital. It's important. 
you're going to see this expanded to all the men of our church. And I, I would invite you to, to take this seriously, to be involved in praying for our families. Lastly, lastly, men, it is our job to protect the generations. And that comes from everything from God has put elders over this church to protect this pulpit um, so that if some Yahoo like me gets up here and is not explaining the Word of God but starts espousing some of his own personal preferences that is contrary to God and His Word, that these guys are to remove me. Men are to protect this pulpit. We are to protect the doctrine of this church to know that the things that are going on in the, in the, in the educational parts of, of our church and, and in our homes um, are doctrinally pure and true and right. We are to be... We are to protect this church by rallying around one another as men and promoting one another and helping one another deepen in their relationship with the Lord and their knowledge of the Scripture. I can't tell you how many men I know that, uh, that after I get to know them for a while, they, they say, ah, can I tell you a secret? I'm like, sure, and I don't know what's coming. I've learned to say maybe. I've learned to say maybe over the years. But so many times, I can't tell you how many times that a man has said, nobody knows this, but I really don't know the Bible very well. And people just assume that I do, but I don't know it very well, and, and I need help. And that's just a wonderful thing. We want to rally around one another. That's one of the ways that we protect uh, things. So again, SNBC is a family of families, working from generation to generation, building until He comes. And it's going to be vital Idol that we continue to be a place where we value relationships and where we step in with one another. And I said it in the first service, and I can say it again in this service with the, the people in this room and many that I know watching. But particularly the, the early service is a smaller crowd, and and uh, I, I could have and I could do this here. I could go to each man and say, "This is how I've seen Christ in you and your walk with your family and the Lord in this church." And I'm thankful. I just want to spur us on to keep going. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank You for who You are and for what You've done. God, I thank You for the men of this church. God, I pray that we can catch this vision that You laid out for us in the book of Psalms of men um, plugging in and building for the generations to come. Thank You, God. I pray that Your Spirit would do a work that is just mighty in and among us. And it's in Your Son's name that we pray.